The first scripture reading this morning is Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. The second reading is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. The word of the Lord. What Laurie led us in prayer is so true. There's a lot of crazy going on. And the fear index is, is high. Every morning, uh, the television monitors in the gym that, that I frequent uh, show the various news networks and the headlines and the, and the news alerts, and they just promote an agenda of fear. The alerts on our mobile devices, they usually aren't messages of faith, but they're messages of what we can be afraid of now. Collectively, individually, the level of fear is, is running high. Collectively, nearly half of Americans now say they're afraid that our nation will end up in a nuclear war with North Korea. 40% of Americans are afraid they're going to be a victim of a mass shooting. Three out of four people have fears about government corruption. There are polls that show young adults are afraid about our country's future. Many people are fearful that technology is going to displace them. They're going to lose their jobs. They fear that. Individually, we fear what people will think of us. We fear that we don't have the right image or the right reputation. Uh, we fear what can happen to us. Will, will we get this terrible flu? Will we be okay in the future? Will I be able to remain independent and living on my own in my home? Will I ever get married? Will I remain married? We fear commitment. It might be a commitment to a place, maybe to a job, maybe to a person, maybe to a community, a church. We're afraid of missing out on experiences. 
We're afraid what will happen to us at school. We will afraid we won't have enough. So much fear, so much fear. And just because we are a Christian doesn't mean we don't feel or experience that fear. We can live out of fear as Christians. Benjamin Corey has written a recent book called Unafraid, Moving Beyond Fear-Based Faith. And in a recent interview about this book, he said, fear seems to have gripped American Christianity like never before, and the impact is already noticeable. This generalized fear is causing us to turn on one another, abandon consistent and collective application of Christian values. It's seriously damaging our witness. There seems to be a tremendous fear of not having political power, a fear of losing political power, and the fear has grown so strong that Christians are often supporting justifying or outright ignoring issues of basic morality. Corey said, the world has been watching and sees how we have collectively abandoned our professed beliefs out of fear. You know, one of the things we say that we hold to quite a bit out of Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for you are with me. Do we believe that, or is that just lip service? Now, it's natural to be afraid. There are things to be afraid of. And it's not like you can just turn off some switch, the fear switch, and turn on the faith switch, right? But it's not good to live out of fear or to let fear be Lord of our lives. And so, how about we give up fear for Lent? If you were at one of our Ash Wednesday services, you know we queued up this sermon series. And remember, while the culturally popular thing to do at Lent is to give something up like chocolate or caffeinated drinks or using the internet in some way, do those things really bring the deep heart change that help us walk with the Lord and make us greater in our faith? Do they? What if we gave up things like fear? How would that change us and allow us to live with greater strength as Christians? Well, we're going to look at things Sunday by Sunday that we might want to give up for our Lent, the first being fear. And these are things of the heart. These are things that I think keep us from walking more fully with the Lord. But it's not just about giving something up. We also take something up because the Christian life isn't just about not doing something. It is also about doing something. It's, it's living and it's being filled with the fullness of God. And there is an exchange here for if I give up fear, then I take up faith. I live not by fear, but by faith. How do I do that as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Get beyond fear and live with faith. Now, I preached this same larger idea at Christmas Eve. On the chance that you weren't here, or that you weren't listening, or that you don't remember what the heck I said, because you know what? I had to go back and look. I didn't know what I said. Um, then okay. But if you do remember, say, you know what, Phil, just, I hear you, it's Christmas Eve, what's he doing, repeating the sermons? No, just consider this 
Faith over fear, part two, okay? When Jesus sent out his first 12 disciples, he was straight with them. He said, it's not going to be easy. He told them they will not always be welcomed. People will not always listen to them. He said they, he was sending them out, remember that, that line we all know, as sheep in the midst of wolves. Well, what a comforting thought when you're being sent out somewhere. She, have you ever seen a, a lamb in the midst of wolves? It ends fast and it's not pretty. Jesus tells them they're going to be handed over. They might be arrested. They're going to be met with hate. They will be met with persecution. I would be afraid right there already. But then Jesus gives his do not fear talk right after all of that. He tells the 12, do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. Don't be afraid because you are of tremendous worth to your heavenly father. The way of following Jesus, it's not always the easiest. It's not always the safest path. I don't like to see when this happens, but I, I don't get totally discouraged anymore when I see someone leave the way of Jesus. Because I, I understand it now. It costs. There's an adversity if you're going to be faithful to Christ. Being a disciple is not an inner path to enlightenment. It is not a way to greater prosperity. It is not the path to inner peace. Being faithful to the Lord can rub against the grain, uh, speaking up for him, living a Christian lifestyle in a world that will make fun of it. Just having the title Christian in our current climate can rub against the grain of our own comfort. How can Jesus say to not live in fear with all that can happen to us? Jesus never denies the reality of fear or that there aren't real things to be afraid of, but he helps his disciples know how to live in a scary world. He tells the 12, he's sending them out, and he tells them to remember, you know what? They can't ultimately kill you. And that's a tool that the powerful use, right? Well, we'll just kill you. And Jesus says, yeah, they can kill the body, but they can't kill the soul because only God can do that. So fear him above them. And Jesus is using a figure of speech. He's not saying God will kill the soul or God does kill the soul or he's interested in doing that. Jesus is merely pointing out, you know what, there's a worse death than physical death. Physical death is temporary, as bad as it might be. Spiritual death is eternal. Yes, things can happen to us physically, but Jesus says, who does your soul belong to? That is an important question to answer, I think, to get along in this life. And keeping eternity in view can bring some perspective to a lot of things that we suffer. As a way to move his disciples from fear to faith, Jesus speaks of how much the Father cares for his children. A sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without the care of the Father, he says. Even the hairs of your head are numbered, which is to say the Father knows every detail. He keeps track of everything, and he keeps track of everyone, and his eye is on us. Even the hairs of our head. Are you kidding me? And I'm not saying that because of my condition and style. But think about that. If we are in God's vision and will, if that's true, then what do we have to fear? And to be in God's provision and will is to be under what we call sometimes his providence. Providence is how God cares for us. It is 
his loving hand being upon us as we go through life with all its blessings, with all its pains, because God's providence can provide. That's where the word comes from. It provides providence. God can make bad things work for our good. He sees us through because you know, life can really suck. But providence is that God is in the suck. It doesn't mean it's easy or that we won't wonder, God, where are you? Or that things won't be painful or that hard things won't happen to us. But, and this is living by faith right here, God is present and we are in his care, whatever that is. We are in his care. Jesus' words to his disciples is not that they will be protected from martyrdom even. His words are an, are an assurance that we, like the sparrows, will not suffer anything, even death, without our Father. There's a Christian statement of faith that's 500 years old. It was written in Heidelberg, Germany. It's called the Heidelberg Catechism. It was written to teach kind of a question and answer catechism to teach the fundamentals of Christian faith. Uh, it's still used in many churches around the world today, particularly in the Reformed Christian tradition. Maybe some of you who go way back in some of those traditions cut your teeth on this once upon a time, but it's a wonderful statement of God's providence, that, and we've used it in our worship at times, but here's the first question in the Heidelberg Catechism, and it goes like this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. And this Jesus also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's not living in fear. That's living in faith. You know, some of you have this, uh, you, you've heard this phrase. Some of you, I hear you say it. God's got this. The first question of the Heidelberg Catechism is a longer way of saying God's got this. To say God's got this, when we say that, we mean in any troubled situation, no matter what, God knows, God sees, God cares. He will see me through. It is isn't my power, it's not my know-how that's going to get me through. God will. He is bigger and more powerful than my situation. And so Jesus says, give up fear because you belong to God. Peter was writing to Christians who were afraid. He takes a verse from Isaiah and quotes from Isaiah when Isaiah said, do not fear what they fear, do not be frightened. And then he writes, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. He's writing to Christians who are suffering a number of indignities and injustices. Peter makes fear a matter of lordship. And if Jesus Christ is the Lord of my heart, then who do I fear? Who should I fear? 
That echoes the wisdom that, that we read about that's given in Proverbs and other places in the Old Testament, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the right way to live. And the fear of the Lord is not to be scared or to be terrified of the Lord. It is to have that respect, that awe for who he is and his mighty power, particularly that he's on our side. Think of those three amigos in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they are arrested for refusing to give their loyalty to the state, to the king, and not bowing down to the idols that he made, they're threatened with death. And this is what they said. They responded to the king that we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Their faith was not dependent on their survival. They fear God more than any earthly or temporary power who threatens them because the king can kill their body, but he cannot kill their soul. In Acts, you think of Peter and John who are preaching so boldly about the resurrection in the streets of Jerusalem. And the leaders of Jerusalem are just appalled by this and they tell them to stop, but they can't believe the courage they have. And because they're not in the larger power structure, but they're not afraid of the consequences of speaking what they have known to be true. And after commanding them not to speak or teach anymore, this is what Peter and John reply. They say, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. And they went right on preaching Jesus from there. They had set apart Christ as Lord in their hearts. They knew who held their lives. They knew to whom they had to obey. Fear the Lord. One of the great sports of my younger years when I was a young lad was wreaking havoc for my babysitters. I look back on some of the things I did to those usually young gals who my parents hired to watch me and my two younger sisters, and I'm a little embarrassed today to think of it. But one time, I did something particularly bad. It was so bad that I can't even remember what it is. I've suppressed it deep down in my soul. But it was bad because I remember my father... When, when, when she told my parents about it, they were livid. And my father said, you are going to go apologize to her, which terrified me. Like I'm probably seven years old, I don't know. You are eight years old, you, you're going to go apologize to her, and you're going to do it face to face. And I was scared to death to have to do that. But I feared my father more <laughs> because... It was worse to take his wrath than whatever temporary experience of apologizing to my uh, child care sitter was going to be like. You see, I feared my father more because I had to live with him. And he had authority in my life, and I knew it. He also loved me, and he wanted the best for me, and he was trying to teach me, but I didn't see any of that at the time. But we grow and we mature, don't we? Uh, I've mentioned Tomas Halleck before. A 
Catholic priest in Czechoslovakia who was ordained and part of the underground church in Catholic, uh, underground church in communist Czechoslovakia during the reign of communism. He was ordained. His mother didn't even know that he was ordained and what he was doing and his activity in the underground church. It was so secretive. Well, during those dark days of the communist reign and the underground church, a friend came to him one night in a secret meeting and said another priest in the underground church has just been found dead, lying in a pool of blood. And the strong assumption was that he'd been killed by the KGB. But to this day, as a matter of fact, that murder still has not been solved. No one knows why it happened or who did it. But Hollick's friend asked him that night, aren't you scared now? And Hollick said, I am. But I couldn't give a darn. And used stronger language that I just used, by the way. And Hollick said it has always been his conviction that it's, it's not a matter of being afraid, but of not allowing fear to govern and determine our behavior. He said, we must never let fear take the helm of our lives. The helm of our lives. Whoever is at the helm of a ship is steering the ship. Whoever is at the helm of a ship can see what is happening. Who or what is at the helm of your life? Who's at the helm? I remember the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., his words, those immortal words the night before he was killed and assassinated. He said that night, he said, I am not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And all the nights in jail and the bombings and the threats and the violence and the beatings, after all that, that night in Memphis, he was not living in fear. He was living before someone bigger. When we say we give up fear, it isn't that we don't feel it or that it's not real. It is just that we will not allow it to be the guiding force in our lives. I think that is consistent with what Jesus said and with what Peter wrote. The confession of Christians, this is what makes us a Christian. We say Jesus Christ is Lord, and that means he is Lord of our hearts in every part of our lives, in life and in death, we belong to God. We feel afraid, but we take that fear to him and we trust his power to overcome that fear. Because if Jesus Christ is Lord, that means everything else is not. Now, if we give up fear, it's replaced by faith. Faith that God is present. Faith that God has us, right? I've heard some of you say that when you've been faced with intimidating things in your life. God has this. I'm, not, I'm okay, Phil. Some of you have said that to me in the intimidating things in my life. We need faith when we're in over our heads and, and, our, and we know our resources are not adequate. Faith means to rely on God. It is the assurance that though we can't see it all, he can be trusted. When we live by faith, we entrust our security and our future to the attentiveness, the providence, the care of the Lord because he's aware, he sees, he knows, he cares. Jesus said, you are worth more, so much more to your heavenly father than anything else. And having faith in the Lord's attentiveness 
to our lives makes panic and anxiety and fear unnecessary and inappropriate. I want to close with with this. There's a beautiful passage in the prophet Isaiah that has been helpful to me in my fear. I sometimes share it with others that are going through a very scary time. The Lord in this passage is speaking to his people Israel. They are wounded. They are beaten down. They are scared. And if that's you this morning, I want you to hear this as a word to you. It's from Isaiah chapter 43. I'm going to read it in the message version. It's good in any version. But now, God's message. The God who made you in the first place, Jacob. The one who got you started, Israel. Don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name. You're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you, all of Egypt, with rich Cush and Seba thrown in. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. So don't be afraid. I'm with you. I hope that'll be a word for you this morning. I think it's personal for us too. And if God is God and is absolutely attentive to our lives down to the detail, we don't have to fear. And we can live in faith because God has us. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for faith to overcome fear in us. And we pray for our hearts to revere you as Lord over every other power and every other adversary that would try to separate us from you. We pray this with confidence, knowing that in every circumstance and trial, we belong to you. Through Jesus Christ, our shepherd, our Lord, our Savior, we pray. Amen.